from indies to foreign films, from the underseen to the underrated, this is Not Your Average Movie Podcast. Alright guys, welcome to Not Your Average Movie Podcast! Movie Podcast! Do, 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 do. Da, 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 Podcast! Yeah. Yeah. How's it going, Adam? Pretty good. It's been uh, a couple of busy weeks in between the last recording and this one, but we, we got a, a couple of movies to talk about. The first being of this episode, The Host. Mr. Kim, formaldehyde. Dirty formaldehyde. Pour him into the sink. Careless American military personnel dump chemicals into South Korea's Han River. Several years later, a creature emerges from the tainted waters and sinks its ravenous jaws into local residents. Careless American military personnel dump chemicals into South Korea's Han River. Several years later, a creature emerges from the tainted waters and sinks its ravenous claws into local residents. When the creature abducts their daughter, a vendor and his family decide that they are the only ones who can save her. Directed by Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho, yeah, director of Parasite. Yep, and Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, a lot of good movies. Okja, or Okja. Um, Okja! 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 Yeah, one Bong Joon-ho is probably most known for Parasite now, and just how big he's gone from being maybe one of the first foreign film directors to get the Best Picture Oscar. If not, wasn't he the first? The first, yeah, that was the big headline. And so now he's a legendary director, and we're going to talk about his first major film. That was the first major film? 2006? Uh, 2007. And yeah, he's had, so he's had other films before this. But none of them were big screen releases. And even this was just a big screen release in South Korea. And it came over here. But, you know, as per many foreign films, it came and, you know, big film people saw it. Big film people loved it. But the regular movie going audience, I feel like, at least in America, just kind of skipped over it. Yeah. If you Google the host, at least on American internet, you get like a 2013 teen dystopian movie yeah i've heard i've heard of that one and yeah it's not it's not good and it's not what we are talking about today yeah no this is guomo guomo that's the korean title and this is like his ambition from like interviews i've heard uh was just to make like the korean jaws 
and, and like go for that summer blockbuster kind of look, but like with his own spin on it. Yeah, he was going. I probably saw the same interview that, that you did of he mentioned Jaws and Godzilla is kind of the two the two big influences for this film. And I you see it through pretty much every frame of this movie. It was pretty much a summer creature movie. But Bong Joon-ho, being such a good director, infuses this with so much amazing commentary like he does. Yeah. I think he's the king of genre hopping. Yeah, definitely. And one moment it can be scary and then at the next moment it can be hilarious. His brand of physical comedy, it kind of goes to the tune of like classical music. It's kind of like, I don't know, it, it has like an artsy feel to it, even though it is kind of like tongue in cheek. It's almost slapsticky from time to time. Yeah. Um, and we'll get more in depth into specific moments in this movie that it's like that. But he does this exact same thing in Parasite, where while Parasite is a drama through and through and is never really a summer blockbuster, it also genre hops much like this movie does, where one moment it can be a ho- straight up horror movie. The next moment it can be a summertime creature feature. And then the next moment it could be a kind of goofy slapstick comedy. But they all work together in service of one another. Yeah. And just like Parasite, you have like a a lower class family at moments just like hunkering down and kind of a basement. So it's kind of like same kinds of characters that he likes to play with, at least in the couple of movies I've seen from him. Yeah. Well, and he generally plays with the same themes, too. And I think they're entirely on accident as he creates a film that's pretty much either a blockbuster or something or a suspenseful horror film. But all of his themes and all of his movies maintain being the same. And I think that's more instinctual that the story comes first. And then since he believes in these themes, they end up in his stories by proxy. Yeah. Like themes of saving the environment, income inequality, the U.S. generally deciding to mess with South Korea a lot because, well, we can't help but meddle in things. And so these themes just permeate all his films and i think is part of the reason why he is such an amazing director yeah i mean he he is top notch i mean he deserved that oscar for parasite for sure um and for this too i mean i don't know what came out in 2006 2007 but this should have been up there too probably nothing great the the mid-2000s was not a great time for movies i feel like yeah like transformers maybe transformers 7 beat the host and i'm like (laughs) The host deserves so much more. Or like Born Identity. That might have been like early 2000s. But yeah, I can't even think of any like memorable films that came out in those couple of years. If we have any listeners by now, someone's going to be like pissed. Like you you guys should review this legendary movie from 2005. I can't believe it. Like Mean Girls is the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not going to lie. I low-key love Mean Girls. I love Mean Girls too. I love is, But it is not underappreciated. It, so it doesn't fit this podcast no we will not be talking about mean girls anytime soon yeah but yeah i just loved that we don't get to see very many monster movies anymore not ones that aren't just two big monsters go and punch each other there was like godzilla versus king kong right a couple years ago yes but that's what i mean by those monster movies are essentially now just superhero movies but they're big yeah it's just kind of like a cgi show it's just like a a light show basically yeah it's a very very fancy animated light show with a very thin plot putting it together this i feel like was a plot driven story 
where the threat is the animal and or the monster. I, I feel like the threat in this movie is more so just like the American government and how they're dealing with the monster. Yeah, well, both the government and the monster play a big role in this. Like, I haven't seen a monster movie like this style where the monster is just, it's not redeemed. It's not like it's a freak of nature. It just decides, like, I'm going to kill these people. I'm eating these people. This is what I do. I haven't felt that way since seeing Cloverfield. Hmm. I, I think the monster, its brain works like an animal where... It's not going to attack you unless A, it's hungry, or B, it's provoked. I don't think it's just like killing for the sake of killing. It's also like anyone that comes after it, it takes them as prisoner rather than eating them. Actually, that's not true with um, one, one character in particular. She's just chilling. Well, I think the monster eats and kills what it can but anything that plays dead it's just gonna take it alive and bring it to its little layer thing yeah outside of that he just eats people and not gonna lie this monster is a bitch there will be one guy that's running away and he will specifically make that one guy just look stupid Mm -hmm. like he won't eat him it wasn't out of self-defense he was just like you're in my way bam like in that blockbuster aspect of this movie there's several kills in this movie that I was just like, okay, I shouldn't be cheering on these kills, but those were, that was kind of funny or kind of cool. Going back to the slightly weird Bong Joon-ho humor where I'm like, this is dark, but for whatever reason, just seeing one guy get tossed a thousand miles ago, oh, <laughs> bing, yeah. was just kind of funny, like in a dark humor sort of way. Yeah. Oh, and and that girl that was just kind of like checking her nails and she was on her headphones and the doc, the monster just gulped her up. Oh, yep. In that like initial uh, attack scene. Exactly. So going on to the actors, I think the only actor I really recognized in this whole cast was the dad because he's also the dad in Parasite and he's in, in all of Bong Joon-ho's movies. Mm-hmm. I need to give him some recognition. The actor is Song Kang-ho. He's consistently fantastic in all of Bong Joon-ho's movies. Yeah. Yeah, he's a solid actor. Yeah. I didn't recognize the rest of them from his later productions, but that main actor just being a leading presence has always been amazing. Yeah. Uh, any negatives you have about the movie? Um, I mean, there's some points where the CGI is obviously like 2006. You know, it is what it is. I I think... No, no negatives, really. I'm, I'm, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I'm not a very tough critic. I'm very easily entertained. So I, I really don't have any negatives. This is like a solid monster movie by all, by all means. I mean, if I were to review like 2013's Godzilla, I, I would have some negatives. So just like the way this monster movie was done, I, I think was done really well. Yeah, this was a monster movie more, like you said, along the lines of Jaws more than it was along the lines of the newer Godzillas. But it also had the social commentary of like an old Godzilla movie where like old Godzilla was about uh, the American response with nuclear weapons on Japan, whereas this is clearly South Korea being like the Americans are messing with our nature, are messing with our environment, cut it out. It is actually based on true true events. The American military 
dumped formaldehyde uh, down a drain and went into the same river that's in this movie in 2000. And somebody noticed a fish with certain mutations. And that was like a, a little news story at the time. And Bong Joon-ho heard about that and was like, what if that wasn't the end of it? What if they toss that back in the river and this happened? See, and that's just where great, I, I don't know how great minds come up with stories like that, just from just a small, innocuous newspaper clipping. But God, I'm so glad this got made. I'm so glad he's getting the recognition he deserves. Yeah. It's probably currently, probably the most well-known foreign film director, which I feel like this whole episode is just going to be us praising Bong Joon-ho. <laughs> and I'm like, there's a praise whole- Praise that hoe. Praise that hoe. <laughs> Even if we don't talk about the movie in specifics, like he's the real star of the show and the actors- while they're still very good and everything, you can tell this is Bong's movie. So I'm I'm going through like my notes and I'm trying to figure out what's left for non-spoilers. Yeah, I think the only negative I have to say before we get into spoilers is like you said, the CGI threw me off quite a few times. And I guess Bong Joon-ho wanted to do pra more practical effects, but there is just no budget. And I think they did a very good job given the budget they have and the design of the creature was really cool. Yeah, like a top budget movie from that year would be like Shark Boy and Lava Girl. And it's like similar character textures because you're dealing with like sharks. So yeah, that's what you're getting out of this movie. But I would say that the creature design is really cool. Like the just the way it moves is like really kind of well thought out. Like it has that like monkey tail that can grip things on like the bridge. It'll be swinging like Spider-Man. Uh, and then it has like that, uh, uh, not a Venus flytrap, but some kind of like uh, flower face. Like the Demogorgon, really. Yeah, I was thinking either like the Demogorgon or weirdly like the alien from Aliens. Like it doesn't have a four way, but it like has those jaws that are frightening. Yeah. And I do like how... It truly plays into the movement of how a fish slash frog kind of creature, what this kind of creature would do, because anytime he's on land, his mobility is off. But as soon as he's in water, you're fucked. Yeah. And he's huge. So, or he, she's huge. I don't know. Cause she's, she has a uh, babies like clinging on to her, which we later find out. That's not too big of a spoiler. Yeah, the babies never really come into the picture, which is kind yeah, of Yeah, they're not really like a plot thing, I guess, unless there was like a sequel, which there never, never was. I feel like they put that there just for the possibility of sequel. Yeah. And then they're like, but if there isn't one, then no one's any the wiser. But just because she's so big, uh, she has a hard time like maneuvering, like turning corners and stuff. So that plays to characters' advantages and getting away from her. Yeah, well, and I like that they made her just big enough that it's not like a Godzilla or a King Kong where it's smashing through buildings or this unstoppable bulletproof machine. It is more like a Jaws where it's just this really, really big creature, but not so big that it's unbelievably slow or like city destruction wide. It's more just this creature is terrorizing this neighborhood it's not going to terrorize the whole world right and i like that smaller scale because that keeps it focused on the story and with these characters and keeps it 
really more of a family drama than it is a blockbuster. Yeah. And that's the thing I love is that this is a very focused movie with blockbuster elements to it. Yeah, I mean, you have kind of the main character, Gong Du, uh, following this arc of being like this lazy bum, like kind of store runner, cashier kind of guy, taking a nap on his cash register to fighting for his life and fighting for his daughter's life. And then you have like the archer uh, who has this character flaw of always waiting to the last second and really second guessing herself to a fault. And that becomes kind of like a central conflict uh, for her and some members of the family, which kind of set them back at points and keep the plot going. Every character has their own arc within this family. Yeah. Yeah, no. So great characters, great story, great director. What more can we say? Go, go watch the movie. Go watch it if you haven't watched it already. If you don't like subtitles, well. Too bad. Too bad. Probably stop listening to our podcast because we're going to watch a lot of foreign films. A lot of subtitled movies are coming your way, which we've already had a lot of subtitled movies. So I don't know what they're still doing here. Yeah. (laughs) Get out of here. Get out of here. You're no good. So good movie. Why don't we uh, move on to the spoilers? Spoilers. 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 All right. Into the spoilers. And we're back. And we're back. All right. Is there any uh, moment from the movie that you want to talk about that jumps out? Not a particular moment from the movie, but I think I was just going to start from the beginning and just kind of go big plot point by big plot point. Yeah. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Well, the bottom happens to be a American military personnel basically telling a South Korean scientist to dump the formaldehyde into the lake. Which you already explained. Real world thing that happened. A couple of fishers found a mutated fish, threw it back, and now, at least according to this movie, it's turned into a big old creature. And I think we can kind of start right when we meet the family and the initial creature attack. Yeah. Because we start off meeting the main character, like you said, sleeping on the cash register. He seems generally like a lazy dude. Doesn't have many prospects going for him kind of a staple of Bong Joon-ho's movies of just kind of a beaten down kind of lazy main character. Yeah. When in fact we learn later on he's much more intelligent than he formerly seems. Yeah, he's just unmotivated at first. But like a member of your family like getting abducted by a giant monster that'll give you a good push. Yeah, that'll kick you right in the pants. And I think that brings us right to his relationship with his daughter and you see him as this loving father even if he's slow and a little lazy he clearly loves his daughter he's clearly providing for her it's just been a tough time and he runs the stand with his dad so there's right off the bat that family connection that kind of permeates the whole movie when his siblings eventually come in to help him rescue his daughter yeah and another thing that Bong Joon-ho likes to play around with is like generation gaps and having like a multi-generational ensemble of characters. And he has that in Parasite and he has this in in this movie. And you have uh, you have like Hyung So, who I think is supposed to be about 13 or like 14. She's in like middle school or high school. Yeah, it seems about right. I'd say like late middle school, probably. Yeah. And then uh, Gong Du he seems to be about like 40 something, I would guess. And the dad, 
uh, is an older generation. He was probably around like very young, around like uh, Hiroshima. And then uh, Sijo, the little boy uh, with Young So in the sewers. Yeah, the very young boy who's more like six, seven, or eight years old. And like alcohol is kind of like a part of this too. You have Nam Il, uh, who's kind of like our age, early 20s, and he's kind of an alcoholic and heading down a, a bad path. And at the beginning of the movie, I think the dad or the grandpa gives Young So like her first beer. Yeah, the, da- the dad does that while they're watching the aunt go to the Olympics and she's an Olympic archer, which I'm like, I wonder if that's going to factor in the plot later. Yeah. <laughs> and then she later craves a cold beer when she's in the sewer. Yeah. And it just shows him as, yeah, probably this dumb father for giving his late middle schooler a beer. But also he clearly cares about her. He's clearly having a good time with her and clearly cares about her deeply. And so when the monster does attack and does take her, we're invested in them right away. And we're invested in this whole family in general, like right from the beginning, which leads me to the initial creature attack. Creature attack. Creature attack. Which I thought it was cool that they didn't really explain anything about where the creature came from or how he got there. They just see this big creature on the bridge fall into the water. And next thing you know, it's just attacking people. And you don't know why, you don't know how, you still, like, even after the movie's over, don't really have a why or how. You're kind of left to formulate that of your own opinion. Probably just animal instinct. At first, I wasn't sure if it was going to be one of those movies where, oh, the monster's just misunderstood. He's just following instinct. Initially, I thought that. And then after a while, I'm like, no, this creature's intelligent and it knows what it's doing. Because there's some people who eats for food. But then there's other people he just grabs with his tail as they're trying to run away and smacks him on the floor and throws him. Yeah. And then he does that to like several people or just like squishes them with his body. Yeah. Sometimes it's survival. Sometimes it's anger. Because when people see this giant thing swinging around on the bridge and attacking people, like they get scared and they like try and like shot put uh, manhole covers or whatever, try and attack him and shoot him. Uh, she has kind of every right to attack back, I think. Yeah, for the most part, it does attack initially, I would say. Just because all the people were just like taking pictures, looking at like, whoa, what's this thing? And then the thing comes and starts eating them. Yeah. But I think that's where the this movie's weird sense of humor starts to kick in is during this initial attack. Because like you said, this one strong American dude, clearly full of bravado and just is like, yeah, I can take this thing on. No. Yeah, like the one white guy in the movie that's not from the government. Yeah, starts throwing stones at this clearly giant creature. And it's just like, I'll get, I'll survive this. Immediately gets destroyed. But it again, it's weird to say someone getting eviscerated by a monster was hilarious, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, he he would probably be the main character in like an American monster movie. And Bong Joon-ho was just like, shitting on that but yeah you get that initial attack everyone's getting destroyed and for some reason he takes the daughter and brings her to his lair in the sewer and i don't think he brings up any other people alive because she checks for their breath every time gets nothing and then keeps looking for cell phones Mm -hmm. i don't think the creature intended for her to be alive 
he just brought her for food later. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. He's like gathering almost like nuts in his cheeks like a squirrel and then bringing him them back to his habitat. That makes total sense. Yeah, he's storing for the winter. He has a little snack in his cabinet, you know? Yeah, and you want them to be fresh. You don't want to like kill them and then eat them five days later because that's not going to be as good. Yep. And so then after that, it's kind of a whole rescue mission kind of story where the family all gets together after this big tragedy. They're quarantined by the government saying there's a virus and that everyone in the area needs to be quarantined and questioned and blah, 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 blah. Basically, the government just making up stuff to cover their own asses, which is a weirdly prescient story today. Yeah. A lot of the story, I couldn't relate like weird things to the pandemic. Yeah, like how the virus was actually like a, a hoax the whole time. Yeah, which is maybe not the best. Uh, <laughs> the maybe, best analogy. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe not the best. Uh, There's still like kind of American like misinformation guiding the conflict for the movie. Like their invention of the virus in these people's minds is kind of more of a conflict than the actual monster in a way. Because it is inhibiting Gangdu and everyone else from going to save his daughter. I just I, I love that theme r- running through the whole thing of just American government just trying to mess with everything and anything any way they can to just cover their own asses. Yeah. And just like coming up with the dumbest responses to things like uh, I'm jumping way ahead, but like Agent Yellow just like solving a pollution issue with more pollution. Yes. Let's solve this with even more chemicals. Yeah. Yeah, when they clearly wanted the monster alive for whatever ungodly experiments they were going to try to perform on it, probably. Because the Agent Yellow was just an excuse to pacify the creature and take it away. Whereas instead, they go ahead and end up killing the creature. I feel like a lot of this middle part of the movie was really good and really well done of them each going through their art. They go through their whole thing. They learn about their brother and why he's more slow than the rest of them or why he needs to sleep constantly. Yeah, it's because he just needed a little lobotomy. Just a just a wee lobotomy. Nothing wee nothing lobotomy. nothing serious, you know. <laughs> yeah, well I love how casual the grandfather is about talking to, about that. But each of them go through their arcs trying to find the daughter in various ways. After a while the father gets killed by the monster, which was very sad, but also a product of the son not thinking through everything like the main character not thinking through hard enough because he's like oh yeah i have one bullet left hands it to his dad and then he goes and actually counts and realizes he shot all the bullets yeah and the dad just turns around gives up and drops his gun and they have this moment of eye contact and like slow motion and gangdu's like i fucked up again he had that same kind of realization when uh, hyung so was getting attacked by the monster, and he had some like stranger by his hand, uh, who he thought was Hyung So. Yeah, those were those moments that I think there are very few of them. There are a few moments where I think we were supposed to laugh that I was like not laughing, like it felt a little too serious during certain moments. Like again, like that bullet with the grandfather, they immediately go right into sad moments. Yeah, but I thought him grabbing the wrong daughter was kind of funny. The only other moment I think they played for comedy that didn't quite work was when they were by 
the daughter's grave. Like they had the picture of the daughter up because she had died at the memorial. And they all started crying, like really overacting their crying. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny because most monster and disaster movies really don't take the time to grieve. Like, oh, another character died. But like this is like a big deal. You know, this family lost their daughter or so they thought. I think they played it up on purpose because most movies don't really take that time to grieve. Yeah, I agree. I think it just I think it took it one step over the top. But the fact that there's only one scene that does that and the rest of this movie is littered with jokes that I laughed at, like the alcoholic younger brother throwing the Molotov cocktails and then he finally goes to throw the last one and just basically drops it at his feet. Like, I thought he was going to, like, light himself on fire on accident because he just dropped it. Immediately followed probably by the more badass moment in the movie is when the archer sister just shoots this flaming arrow into the monster's eyeball. Yeah, that was pretty sick. Yeah, it was a pretty satisfying. Like, that entire ending sequence, like, was super satisfying. The middle did a very good job of establishing more character, getting them through their arcs. And there being surprisingly little of the actual monster in it. Yeah, I feel like the the middle of the movie is more so about the government and the characters kind of like getting closer and closer to that actual uh, systemic conflict before they're able to actually get to the monster. Yeah, and the threat of the monster is always present is what I like. Even when he's not there, you can feel the presence of the monster Yeah, just permeating through this movie. But yeah, that final battle where all the family finally reconciles, gets their shit together, and is like, we need to go rescue the daughter as well as this other little boy that she finds in the sewers with her that the monster drops off and for some reason is still alive. And I think the biggest and more tragic part of the story is when they do finally, after the whole big conflict, get his daughter out, his daughter's dead. Like, they didn't really succeed in their main mission. Yeah. But they managed to save this other younger boy. And so, while it's not the thing they initially set out on, they did still save someone at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's a little piece of young So because they had their own adventure together for half the movie. Exactly. I've never seen a monster movie where the person just straight up does not succeed at the end, but it still ends in a happy ending. Whereas I feel like a lot of monster movies either have everything go terribly or have everything be way too sunshine and roses Yeah, for all the destruction that just happened. Yeah, I mean, it did have that like big, satisfying, on-fire ending that like just overpays off because it knows it's a movie, you know? Yeah, and as we were talking about before with the genre hopping, where the middle is this really excellent family drama with the looming fear of this creature the end of the movie turns into the blockbuster that was initially promised where a lot of amazingly cool stuff is happening and a lot of those fuck yeah moments but also along with the tragedy of losing the daughter and just the whole follow-through of all of the characters individual arcs all coming together at the end was just beautifully done and I like that it, as far as the message of the American government goes, it doesn't bang you over the head with it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like overly serious about the political satire. And it just kind of like pokes fun at the Americans. They're just like these goofy people. Yeah, these very stereotypical assholes slash idiots. Yeah. 
what I just noticed is the surviving characters are all kind of like that middle generation and the younger generation and older generation are the ones that are killed off. Yeah, end up biting the dust a little bit, but they still got one of the younger generation out of there. I think the message for that might just be like this generation is the one that's polluting and killing the environment uh, while the older and younger generations are the ones that are suffering for it. That's like the underlying message to killing off those two characters. That's interesting. If I'm reading way too much into it, like an English teacher. No, I, I, I was going to say, I think I might agree with you. It's just the fact that, yeah, the older generation, the younger generation end up paying for the middle generation's mistakes and issues. Yeah. And so they're the only ones to not survive. That's interesting. Because they're the ones that are, are in power, like everyone in a position of power, at least in this movie, is of that generation. Everyone in a position of power today in America is like 80. But that's yeah. a, a different story. But also, this is a different culture. Yeah, different culture. Where that generation gap is a lot more prominent also in a lot of Asian cultures. Yeah. All right. So overall, fantastic movie. Very good movie. Oh, a couple of moments that made me laugh at the beginning, like at that like memorial kind of thing. Guy in the hazmat suit was like, uh, let's just explain everything with the news. That'll make things easier. Yeah. Because that's just like a, a trope. An easy throwaway. Yeah. And then another time on the TV, they're interviewing this girl kind of anonymously with like the camera kind of under the desk. And she's talking about how the monster threw her onto the ground. And she was like, I think he gave me arthritis. <laughs> just understating. Like everyone taking this big issue and just not taking it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so weird with the correlations to COVID because in some ways it hits the nail on the head of like people not taking things too seriously. And sometimes maybe the government taking some things too seriously, but just the fact that, and even the message about misinformation is very prevalent for today, but the issue comes in is... Maybe it's not a great time for a message movie where the government is actually lying about the big issue. Yeah. <laughs> which they make of a big issue is the virus, but they're not lying about the actual big issue, which is the big freaking monster in the middle of downtown. Mm. So it's got its weird ups and downs when it comes to that correlation. But I think that makes the movie even better in this time to, you know, think about things like that even more. Yeah. I mean... I think with COVID, like the East Asian response was like such a, they handled it really well, but it was on the exact opposite end of the spectrum of like the freedom American response. So there is kind of like that government overreach where the lockdowns were like really strict and it was something to criticize, you know, like America and like Europe would never go as far as like China and South Korea or even um, New Zealand would have gone. So I think there is some kind of pushback to the government trying to help so much. Uh, whereas in the US, at least for like liberals or like moderates, the criticism is the government not helping enough a lot of the time or shrugging it off when it is actually a big problem. Yeah. At least in like 2020. I don't know, like the past couple of years, it's been kind of mixed the response yeah again interesting themes that just keep this movie 
pretty timeless, I feel like. Yeah. For the next pandemic, which will probably come sometime soon. Monkeypox. Monkeypox. Hey. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you want to move on to the recommends? Sure. Do you have anything else you want to say about the host? Uh, Go watch it. It's a good movie. I feel like that's how we're going to end all of ours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go watch it. It's good. All right. Let's move on to our recommends. Wreck those men's. I'm going to wreck them. I'm going to wreck it. All right. Uh, do you want to start off? Yeah, I'll start off. I'm currently watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is the newest Star Trek show to show up on TV, Paramount Plus, all that stuff. For context, I'm a huge Star Trek. I feel like the reason why I love this show so much is because it's finally the first modern Star Trek show that isn't more like Star Wars than Star Trek. I feel like ever since the J.J. Abrams movies, all the Star Trek movies and shows have gone more of an action movie route or a typical sci-fi movie route, which is still good. Like some of them are still good. I personally love the first J.J. Abrams movie. But none of them have felt like how Star Trek is supposed to feel for a while now. I think it's the first show since Voyager that really captures that Star Trek feel of we're going to explore, solve our issues through diplomacy, talk to other species, ex discover new cultures. And it keeps those themes rather than it being a action-packed thrill ride of monumental proportions. You still get one or two episodes that are very action-based, but for the most part, it is about the exploring. It's about the characters. Yeah, it's not about the wars. It's about the Trek. Exactly. Exactly. Is this the one with Picard in it, or is that a separate show? No, that is a show called Picard, okay. and <laughs> that one's debatably the worst thing Star Trek's ever put oh, out. Oh, really? At least the second season. From what I've heard, I haven't watched it, so I'm not going to put any judgment on it yet. I just heard it was coming out, and then I totally forgot it existed until now. Yeah, so it has two seasons. The first season I watched, it was okay. It wasn't terrible. The second season supposedly is one of the worst Star Trek things that has been made. And I'm like, that's kind of sad. But also, you're formulating an entire show around an 80-some-odd-year-old man. Yeah. At the same time, though, this show, I feel like, makes up for anything that Picard might have gone wrong. It even has some of the cheesy aspects of Star Trek that I personally enjoy. Some people might look at it and be like, oh, that's odd. Why would they do that? But it feels cheesy in the way Star Trek has been cheesy in the past. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I personally really like this show. And I think it's the perfect show, finally, for me to go show non-Star Trek people some sort of Star Trek where they're not going to look at it and go, this is corny or out of date or it's just old. Like even some of the newer Star Treks like Voyager, while they're great stories, it still has those cheesy aspects of old TV where, you know, cheesy special effects. So, yeah, anybody who wants to get into Star Trek or has ever been interested in it, I'd say this is the show to watch. Good stuff. I'm glad they made that for you. I'm like, it's, I'm like, about damn time. Yeah, you need some new Star Trek. I need Trek. some new Star Trek that isn't, not even god-awful, just, it's just been so mediocre, like, just the most mediocre TV that I'm like, okay, whatever, I can take it or leave it. Mm. All right, what you got for me, Adam? Um, 
So I haven't really watched anything in the past couple weeks other than uh, this movie. My music taste in the past couple of weeks has been like 2000s or like early 2010s throwbacks. Like specifically, if I were to recommend anything, it would probably be The Cooks, their 2006 album Inside In, Inside Out. That's where their famous single, She Moves In Her Own Way, or Naive, or Seaside, those are some good songs off the album. Uh, just some good alt-rock from the mid-2000s. It's kind of timeless, and it's feel-good. And I've been listening to some like Sugar Ray, some Weezer recently, too. And today on the way up here, I listened to like Jason Derulo and Kesha, like just the garbage like party summer songs from 10 years ago. I was going to say, I feel like you ha- yeah, you're going through all those mid 2000s vibes between the alt rock indie rock scene, which is more my thing too. Yeah. You know, the, the pop songs we would hear at all of the high school, middle school dances. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just kind of going through like summer songs from when summer was actually like a break, like through my middle school and high school years. And it, it's a good throwback. I enjoy it. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Not sure how much more we have. So keep this episode nice and tidy. Nice and tight. Nice and tight. Uh, next next week, we'll be releasing the episode and definitely not recording it right after this recording of the movie Just Married. Just Married. Best movie ever. Oh, yeah. Best movie ever. Uh, Those are moans of pleasure. Oh, yes, clearly. (laughs) It's because I was just married, you know? Yeah. Pleasure moans. All right, guys. Well, catch us next week to see me rage and have Adam uh, console me over it. (laughs) There, there, Tom. There, there. All right. See you guys next time. Later. Careless American military personnel dump chemicals into South Korea's Han River. Several years later, a creature emerges from the tainted waters. Taint. Okja! 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 That's the, um, the live-action um, Ghibli movie I was talking about. It's not Ghibli at all. Totally wrong country, wrong director. Yes, but you're right, and it does give me those same feels. Yeah, it's still kind of like this giant Totoro-like animal. Yeah, uh, and it's just such a, maybe not a feel-good story. It has its dark moments, but it's definitely the brightest of all of Bong Joon-ho's movies, I'd say. Yeah, it's still kind of like a South Korean political commentary movie, but it's it's still got some some good vibes and a uh child's adventure with a big mythological creature if you don't like subtitles well too bad too bad probably stop listening to our podcast because we're gonna watch a lot of foreign films a lot of subtitled movies are coming your way which we've already had a lot of subtitled movies so i don't know what they're still doing here yeah (laughs) get out of here get out of here you're no good They would be very, I'm thinking that meme of Bobby Hill being like, they'd be very offended if they could read that. (laughs) (laughs) That that actually, (laughs) that fits really well. I kind of want to put that as the thumbnail for this podcast. (laughs) Be like the Bobby Hill putting up the host and them. They would be very offended if they could read this. (laughs) (laughs) Americans. Americans. 
with that uh, uh, <laughs> Tim Robinson looking guy representing America, like the cross-eyed guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For context, I'm a huge Star Wars or I'm a huge Star Trek dork. It, was that slip up there, like going to uh, a Pepsi convention and saying, I fucking love Coke? I fucking love Coke. Yeah, I don't feel like having the nerdy side of the internet destroy me yet. <laughs> Just light me on fire and be like, that's the wrong one. <laughs>